It's so lovely to worship with you this morning because everything just seems to be so focused in the right direction. And that's the knowledge and the experience of Jesus Christ himself. Thank you, Gary, for choosing that beautiful song that was just touched my heart. It was just, just for me what I needed this morning. Um, uh, and, and then all the messages that came from before. Uh, it's, it's a lovely thing to be worshiping with you. I, um, uh, this, this morning, uh, I just realized how much we need to depend on the Lord. Just this morning. You know, my computer works pretty well, but this morning everything I prepared wouldn't transfer onto my laptop to bring it here to you. Where do I go? And uh, somebody, we were talking, we need each other, don't we? We need the Lord, but we need each other. And then I thought, oh, there's someone I know. Well, he couldn't do it because he's in Melbourne, right? Pathfinders. But he gave me another name. And, um, and so I'm, I'm so blessed this morning that everything is, is working. Brad Cunningham. You've ever got the name right? Brad Ben Cunningham. Um, and so as I prayed this morning about delivering and sharing my journey of life, uh, as you know, I'm a new face to you, and I guess you don't know who this person is, and I will discover your journey, but it's a journey of God's leading. That's what it is. Uh, I, I opened this morning's scripture as I was about to just go over what I will share with you, and here it came from Thessalonians, and I just felt God was speaking. It says, May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace has given us eternal comfort and wonderful hope, May he comfort you and strengthen you in every good thing you do and say. I took that as a personal communication from heaven above. May the Lord give you strength and wisdom to share what you will share this morning. Um, it, it, it takes courage to bring out your life. Where do you start? Where do you finish? And so in a way I have... Um, I have, oh yes, I do have a remote here. I thought I would call this particular sharing this morning traces of Jesus in your life as you listen and I guess see where he has led me. You will connect at some point yourself. It, it all happened in Europe. I was born in former Yugoslavia in Croatia. Uh, I must say in a time when communism was ruling the country, I had no choice about it. It just all happened uh, where I was born. I was, I was glad that God gave me parents who loved the Lord. I'm glad now, of course, looking back. Um, and so let, let, let me begin. My, my dad was born in uh, Lika, one part of the country of what's known Croatia today. Mum was born on totally the other side of the same country. Uh, Mum was very deeply religious as a Catholic. Dad was, to some degree, of the same. Second World War hit, and then it all went bad as everyone turned on each other. And as they did that, um, there was murder, there was killing, there was everything going wrong. Dad detested killing. He ran from, from war, found himself as a postman in one little village down south of the country called Vukovar. You may, you may have heard about this place. It was a center of, of murder and killing just um, in the 90s, in, in the decade. The war came up again. Uh, he was a postman. He didn't want to do anything 
to do with, with killing and, and war. And he says he was delivering this mail to this lady who happened to be putting clothes out on her clothesline. Over the fence, he was handing her this uh, her mail. And she came and started talking to him. And he discovered that she had something special to say. He discovered she actually loved God with all her heart. And that opened his eyes to the truth and the possibility of God leading our life. Nothing better than that at the time of war. And then after, he says, I would go and deliver mail every day, but I'd go to her address first. <laughs> go and see her and then go and deliver the rest. And he says, as I came and visited her, she said, you, you love the Lord too, don't you? Why don't you give your life to him completely? And he was taken by that, that he had to actually do something himself to connect with the God of heaven whom he really wanted to. And he said, told us a number of times, he says, look, I didn't know what to do. Shall I make a... She says, you can be baptized. He, sa he says, I asked, where? Well, in our bathtub. Oh, in a bathtub. She says, my two boys or three boys are going to be baptized too, so why don't you come and join us? He says, I went home and I, I prayed to this God in heaven to show me whether I'm doing the right thing. And he said, that night, he had a dream. A postman has a dream of a postcard. This postcard keeps flipping and coming down from the sky. He says, I saw it fall on my feet. It was the other side. A lot was written on it. And then he said, I, there was a Bible verse, quotation, uh, a Bible reference. He says, I woke up in the morning. I couldn't remember a thing that I had dreamt uh, what was written on there. But I remembered that Bible verse. He says, as I read that verse, it was as if God was speaking to me. This is what you should do. He says, I went the next morning and I was baptized within a few days later. He studied the Bible with this lady and her sons. The war was finished. Now dad, as a new Seventh-day Adventist Christian now, went boldly into the war. He was drafted in by the Yugoslav army. He says he was not wanting to kill. He, he could not face, a, push the gun and sh point it towards someone's face. He said, I always lifted it above to miss everyone. And then he challenged his commanders. I have no time to tell you this morning how much time he challenged them about his face to the point that one of them even put a gun to his head. But he was, he says, I was, the Lord was with me. Eventually the war was finished. And he ended up going to the capital city of Croatia called Zagreb, to the church there. Lo and behold, there was another young lady who was there. My mom, not then. Her sister was telling her about this beautiful truth that the Adventist church teaches and that she should come and have a look and check it out. And she did. And she came to the church and gave her heart to the Lord herself and was baptized, and these two meet. Thank God they met. You would have no pastor, would you? <laughs> oh yes, you would have one. But this is my opportunity. Here are these two lovely people. Um, uh, the Second World War. They were in their 30s. They were young. They fell in love. And they grew old together. This was at my ordination over in Queensland a number of years ago. They were there visiting. Um, 
later on, as we grew, we, we traveled from that country. But, but here is my mom with my two brothers, John, uh, who works for our church there in the division, and my youngest brother, who passed away some years ago. Oh, this is yours truly, when he was very, very, very little. I must not hold this one too long on the screen, I think. I should better move on. <laughs> um, but look, I, I grew up in an Adventist church uh, with big congregation, looking over the top of the gallery with a little barrier, just tasting it every day, every Sabbath. You know how little kids, they even lick the edges of the church pews and so on. I can still remember the taste. Pastors were preaching their hearts out. And I, I was made to be part of this church. So thank you, teachers, that you are making the young people here and the children part of the system because I was asked to memorize Bible texts. I was able to go into the front and recite a psalm. And, and that made me go over and over and over many times over a certain Bible text. And here is one of the psalms that I want to just uh, share with you. And um, this is the one I know of by heart. Not in English, by the way. But it says, Oh, praise the Lord, all you nations. Praise Him, all you people, for His merciful kindness is great towards us. And the truth of the Lord endureth forever. I love that psalm. I, I would go home and I would just go over these wonderful thoughts. Praise the Lord. I believed that Jesus was coming soon because I heard about it so much. I looked above the shed and saw these clouds in the wintertime loaded with snow and I knew sure that Jesus was coming. I, I felt that the church was such a beautiful place to be because everybody loved each other. And then I'd go out into the neighborhood. Did you see what happened down the street one day? There were friends of mine who were friends, but they never went to church. They were nurtured under the system that said there is no God. And so I went to school. The school had 40 students. It was six days a week from Monday to Saturday. And you were to be there and you were to be indoctrinated with their teaching. But they didn't need to indoctrinate me. I just sensed that there was some anim animosity towards someone who was a Christian. And the reason I say that is because my dad said to me, Miroslav went to the age of seven. We're coming home from church. Here, is, here I am holding my dad's hand up here, because I was different size. I'm holding his, my hand. And he uh, says, Miroslav, now you're starting school. Now, you, you know what the Bible says and what the Lord wants from you, but you decide. You know that there are some Adventist young people who are going to school on Saturdays, and some don't. They go to church. I don't want to tell you what to do, son. You make up your own decision. And that put a weight on my shoulders for the first time as a little kid. Try and decide this big thing. And as it put that on my shoulders, suddenly I felt... I felt this strong feeling and an imp impression that said to me, go to church, go to church. I said, Dad, I'm going to church. Okay, it's your choice. That means no going to school on Saturdays. That means missing classes. That means problems maybe with teachers. And that's exactly what happened. I had every Sunday I had to be looking for an assignment for Monday because I missed what happened on Saturday. And then when I would get there on Monday morning, my teacher would stand up 
in his usual way to take the role and all the 40 students when he'd come to my name and he didn't call me by my first name everyone was by their surname <laughs> stand up Miroslav oh Stilinovich no you know my surname I would stand up there come to the front uh oh come to the front and then he would say okay explain where were you on Saturday well uh, I would say to him sir I was at the church look at them look at the children okay I look these are my schoolmates my age group I'm scared I explained to them where I went I go to church because I believe in God okay go to your seat Whew, I've been through that one but you know the following week Monday morning school roll again Merce, I won't say it again, you know, calls me to the front over here, explain where were you on Saturday I I'm now more nervous because I already told them last week but he kept doing this Monday, Monday, Monday after Monday the kids were now recognizing that something was wrong between teacher and, and me they started to wait for me outside and they were going to give me a hiding the bullying started at its best and Sabbath, Saturday, week after week, Monday after Monday, same story. Teachers meeting came, end of the year. I was struggling. I would go to church and I would find these beautiful people, happy and warm and loving, come to me. Even the kids were nice at church. It was like a beautiful heavenly place. On the Saturday, on Monday morning, it was like going to the Den of Lions. And this week, by week, by week, and then the final day. Oh, didn't I pray in my little childish ways that God would give me strength. And then at the end of the year, the teacher had a teacher-student meeting, and we were all present, parents and students, and I'm sitting with my security guard, my dad. I really relied on him. He sat next to me. This is my school desk. He is sitting next to me. Here is other parents, and here is this teacher there behind his desk, giving us some commentary and instruction. Do you know how he looked to me? Physically, he was pure image of the man once known as Saddam Hussein. Anybody remember that name? He stood up tall, and then he pointed his finger at my dad, and he says, by the next, you think hard, he says, during the summer, talking to my dad. By the time next year comes, I want your son here fully every Saturday. But if he doesn't, this is waiting for you. Prison for you. I'll make sure it happens. And for your little son, well, school for the handicapped children. And he said it in my presence, in the presence of all the other children. I was devastated. Next year, this is my destiny. You know, as a child, I prayed that summer like I'd never prayed before. Jesus, save me. Do something. I don't know what to do. You know, the summer went, and the first day of the next year began, and we were all in the classroom, and I was really, really scared. The bell went, which usually does. Everybody stops talking, waiting for the teacher to come. And then, um, because he didn't come, everybody started talking again until another bell rang. And then there the teacher was, holding this huge roll book as they used to have black. But he was different. 
He didn't have moustache. It was a woman. <laughs> a lady teacher. What is she doing at the door of our school? She comes over to the desk and says, Girls and boys, I'm sorry to inform you, but your teacher from last year has been taken seriously ill and has been transformed, has been trans, um, has been moved down to the seaside for special treatments. I will be your teacher for this year. Do you know that I, I, I couldn't believe it? As a little boy, suddenly recognizing in a big way that my God is alive. I thought as a kid that life was all about play, but then I realized that sometimes things like this happen. Unexpected, unplanned pain, damage, hurt. Where will all this go? I was so glad that year though, I was doing well. She was such an angel. The kids didn't know how to act towards me, but you know, the bullying continued and I said to myself, I felt it deep inside, how long can I continue living in this environment? Dad could not keep his job because he was a Christian. He had to change jobs constantly. We had this amazing house. Now, I'm being facetious here. We had one bedroom, three boys, and mom and dad. One bedroom, which was a quarter of this front stage here. And tiny little kitchen. You come into the kitchen, then you go into the bedroom. And this is where the whole family lived. Two beds only, all of us. And on the, on the wall behind, there was a map of you don't know what country in the world because of the dampness. Dampness had made its map around. One brick wall on the other side was pigsty. So we could hear those creatures on the other hand squealing and making noises. And the dampness from there was seeping into our bedroom. Dad said, the mom said, we've got to go. Go where? People were talking about running out of the country, getting somewhere else. But how do you get out of the country that's borders are sealed and it's a communist country? If you're caught, you're in worse trouble than when you left. Dad had a brilliant idea. He was sure. He was sure he could make it. But could he? I had this experience in the school. I realized that my God could do something. It was a milestone. I thought I'd illustrated this way with you. I learned to trust in Jesus a little. But enough to know that my God, so I prayed that God would help. Mom said, we're not going across the border on a raft. We had one achievement. Will he do something? Dad looked at her. We'll never get out of this place. Mom said, you get me a passport and a visa, I'll go. Now scheming and planning and praying happened. I saw big people talking seriously. I was a kid, 
I saw my dad with some other people at night talking, talking. Cars would arrive, then they would go. And then one day, mom says, Dad's leaving. What? We need dad. No, he's not leaving us. He's going to Germany. He's got work over there. Oh, will he come back? Yes, he will. Dad left. I can still remember his wave on the train. He almost fell out of the train as he was saying goodbye to his family. And the train disappearing in the distance. Then he would send postcard and messages here and there, and we would be comforted. Suddenly he's back. Now he's saying, children out of the room, I'm talking with mum. What he was doing was he had got himself a passport, had gone overseas, legally working there, but he's coming back now to make sure that my mum gets one too. But it was in the day of when there's no computers and the government couldn't talk with one side of the country to the other. So he came with her, went to another side of the country, got a passport and visa for her. And then we all backed home, uh, came home. Mum had passports and visas. I didn't know. He knew. She hid them. And then he says, I'm going to Germany now, children. Just be good to mum. And he went back to Germany. We got some more poor postcards. One, two, three months went by. Uh, what's happening, mum? We're praying. She said one day, now, children, I want nobody to know this except you. And you mustn't say it to everyone or anyone. What is it, mum? Children, we are going to Germany tomorrow. How? With a train. Wow. We're going to Stuttgart. Wow. No one telling children. No friends. No one. Because everyone's watching. So we promised, mum, with sincerity of heart, that we will be true to our promises until we got outside. For some reason, we were shouting at the top of our voices, we're going to Germany. We're going to Germany tomorrow. Mom was pulling her hair, I know. Fortunately, nobody recognized it. Next day came, we got our suitcases. The neighbors were just staring. We made our way to the border, to the train. Through the, with the train, we traveled across the border. Here comes this huge customs people, the border controls, uniforms, you can imagine. We are having fun as kids playing around. Mom told us later, you had no idea the fear I had. What if they sent us back? But no, they didn't send us back. We found Dad in Germany. He was welcoming. He took us with a car that he had borrowed, drove us to a refugee camp there in Stuttgart, uh, rather in just out of Nuremberg, in a little town called Zindorf. First we went to Stuttgart, then Nuremberg, then to Zindorf. And there we were. And now we were in a new place. Away from communism, kids, fun. We were climbing walls, we were having fun, uh, playing with security guards. There were police everywhere. It was all locked. And for a whole year, I said, Dad, what are we doing here? How long will we be here? He says, we're trying to find a country where we're going to go to. Which country shall we go to? We don't know. It depends the one that will accept us. But there's many countries that are wanting people. Australia is one of them. Canada is another one. And it's very easy to get into those. But uh, there's one that's very hard to get into. We're trying. What is it? They say it's the best country in the world. What is it? New Zealand. <laughs> New Zealand. Where is it? It's on the other side. You can't go any further than that if you go around the world. Okay. The day came. You know, I always imagined planes to be totally different than they were. For the first time ever, I was in a plane flying to the place called 
New Zealand, but you know where we had to go first? We had to go to Sydney, Australia. That's where we landed first. Ah, and this is our arrival to Wellington, taken by Mr. Bauer, who's died now. He was our sponsor. He loved us like we were part of his family. Somebody got his address. They never had any children. When they heard about us, they said, we need family here. We've been lonely for years. Come. And the warmest letters came from him. This is what he took. This is blurry because from a distance. But this is my dad. <laughs> New soil. I thought New Zealand was only one little island with a palm tree on it. And then we went a little further and, and, and I discovered that it was bigger than that. And then I was, we were brought that very night when we arrived. We were brought to some family at Longburn in Palmerston North. And we thought we were so tired. I mean, this is a dragging journey, not like now you can sleep in comfort. There the planes were stopping every two hours trying to refuel and they didn't fly high enough. So Boeing 707s were going up like this and oh, everyone was sick. Mum and Dad too. Well, that was nice to see. You know, they are the heroes. And then we were sick. But when we got to New Zealand, oh, we, we got to Sydney, that was long enough. So we come to New Zealand. Wow. Yeah, I saw plum jam on the table. I was hungry. All the kids that I couldn't speak to because of English, they all looked at me putting this plum jam on the bread. I was craving for such domestic product that mom used to make. And I finally found it in New Zealand and I layered it on for half an inch and uh, their eyes were popping out. I could understand that language. And as I look into their eyes, and uh, you know, they were making these funny... And, and then I realized what they were telling to me. They were telling me that I will not be able to eat all this. And as a kid, you've got this little pride of yours that says, of course, you show them. And I took a bite. Brother Kevin Jackson, I'm sorry, but it was Marmite. <laughs> I've been addicted to it ever since. But it was tough going. <laughs> Eating that whole big, long sandwich like this. It was a whole slice of bread and I ate it. Never forgot the welcome from those people at Longburn College, at Longburn Church, Sanitarium was just down the road. It became our second home where we kids got our pocket money and love. But the thing about New Zealand was that it was there that God really sharpened his saw with me. I suddenly recognized that God is big. We did one jump already with him. Now we're looking, I was thinking, what has he got for me now? And when the preachers spoke at the college and made deep appeals for students to give their life to Jesus, I don't know what happened to my feet, but I would gum up. And I still remember the pastor saying, here's another one who wants to be baptized. I was another one. <laughs> well, that was me. And then it happened. And I'm going to just uh, play this. I surrendered my life to Jesus in the waters. I was baptized by now deceased Pastor Walter Scragg, whose hand was two feet long. Anybody remember the giant of a man? He dropped me down into the water and he says, the angels of God are rejoicing as they see this young man giving his life to Jesus. And he opened their heaven to me. You mean I'm part of the creation that God has made? I grew at that college learning so much about life from all the classes. 
But as I was coming to the end of my high school years, I was re realizing that it's time to start thinking serious about life. You know, I was getting older, 17, 18, 19, 20. What am I going to do with myself? I'm looking around and trying to find meaning. I, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of people dressed nicely in black suits going around, driving nice cars. What do you think my thoughts were? Could I be like one of them? Happily married with a beautiful business. So my brother John and I, John is a great mate. We've been together uh, very close to each other for, for, from those little days. And um, we both looked at each other and said, we've got to make some money, right, in life. So let's get into business. So I s directed my course towards studying business subjects. So did John too. And, um, and um, uh, somebody interrupted this whole thing. Some people that came into the church and they had this strange name called Call Porters. What do they do? They sell books. They were there to talk to the young people about selling Christian literature. So it so happened that um, they appealed to us that there is a way to earn money outside um, of the local place where you normally are during summer. If you just go out to another town called Auckland, we were in Palmerston North, there will be someone, a team leader who will meet you, you will live in somebody's place, you go from door to door and you will sell Christian books. And that will revolutionize your life. And John and I had a job already fixed. Sanitarium was waiting down the road. And it was, we were used to, we knew exactly what to do. You go to work in the morning, you come home at night, and you get your wages. And it's easy. Now going into the unknown and knocking on doors and earning money, I mean, that's, that seems absurd. But there was some voice deep down within me that was saying, Miroslav, go. Go try. Just, just go. And I looked at John, and I said, John, I feel like we should go and try this. And he says, come on, look what we've got. But then, as the brother he always has been, he looked at me with a twinkle in the eye. He says, let's try it. Let's try it. So both he and I went to Auckland, knocked on the doors. And we were supposed to make a sale here. You know, you've got all these procedures. You've got to get into the house, talk to people, and persuade them to buy your book, which is a Christian book. We learned our canvas off by heart. And we got ourselves going. Maybe the peanut butter sandwiches from the lady that was boarding, that was, we were staying with, that was making them for us every morning. She says, well, what do you like to eat for lunch? She said, peanut butter sandwich is nice. We had one every, every day. The energy was there. And the enthusiasm was there. And we were doing very well. So much so that whenever we come home, come back to the car, come back to the car, we, 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 we would tell how much we sold. And, Everyone would say, really, did you do that much? And, and, and we were getting quite good feeling about ourselves. Every morning we had worship. This gentleman called Bruce Campbell, somebody you may know, I don't know whether he's still alive, he would come and give us a reading from the Bible, then from the spirit of prophecy. And then, he would, and, and, and then one morning, this particular day, he said to me, he said to us, Listen, listen to this quotation. It says, the angels of God walk with you when you go from door to door. Angels of God walk from door to door. And then he tells us another story. He says there was a coal porter. He would always carry his bag and walk on the, on the grass, not on the footpath. People would ask him, why do you walk on the grass, not on the footpath? 
Or he would say, I let, I let Jesus go on the, on, the gra- on the footpath and I go on the grass. And when he told us that story, this young mind of mine had something seep deep down. You mean to say that there are people like that? That believe that God is so real? That they even give him place on a footpath and they walk on the grass? There are, there must be, because he told so. And the angels actually stand on the door and they knock. Must be. But you know, I filed that worship nicely into the back of my mind and went on to the business of selling that day using the same skills that I developed. And I went forcefully into the day because I was going to make sure that again I am, you know, on top and the best. Only to discover that in the first house the lady would not want to see me. And on the third. And on the fourth. But now, by now, I, I knew what was wrong. I wasn't just doing it right. Now I was working on my skills. I was sharpening myself. I knew I was really carefully planning every move and I was giving it the best shot. And I smiled as much as I could. And it was supposed to be warm. And so by 12 o'clock at noon, uh, I had sold zero. But I comforted myself because this, uh, we, we went till 8 o'clock that night, would you believe? I had all these hours to go by. So by 3 o'clock, I must sell something. Well, lo and behold, nothing happened by three o'clock. Now I was getting a bit desperate. But look, I had five, eight o'clock, still come away to go. And so six o'clock, nothing. I was not wanted. I was the reject by the community. What was happening? Okay, five minutes to eight. The last house, night had fallen. The street light was shining bright. I can still see it. And I'm standing scared to walk into that house because my bag was full. And facing the audience, facing the comrades, the fellow colporteurs in the car, with no sale to my human boyish ego, was devastated. So I said, Lord, I prayed. I prayed. Lord. And then it dawned on me. The worship came out of the file. The worship this morning. There are people to whom Jesus is real and they rely on him totally and fully. And they walk on the grass and give him the space on the footpath. They go up the stairs to the house. They let Jesus come in front and then they knock on the door. And they let Jesus do everything. And I thought, well, if that's true for those people, then I've got to do it now. Because this is my only hope. If Jesus doesn't somehow get in there and sell, I'm done. That's how I felt. So I took my back and I prayed quietly, Jesus help me. You were, I saw the invisible one. I didn't see, I, I knew he was there. I, I felt, I, I walked up on the side of the steps, making sure that there was room for Jesus in front of the door. When I got to the door, I knocked on the door and stood on the side. I smiled, constantly talking to the invisible friend. The lady opened. Oh, she let me in. Oh, good. So I said, Jesus, you step in first. Jesus stepped in first. She disappeared. And I waited. Where'd she go? And then... Uh, 
And then she, she came back, she says, what are you doing here, standing here? Get into the lounge, my husband's in there. Oh, okay, okay. So I said, Jesus, you go. And I walk with my bag and here he is sitting behind his desk in the lounge. Big desk, I don't know what his job was, but he looked at me strangely and I explained myself who I am. And then I said to, to quietly to Jesus, no, Jesus, this is self, quiet talk. You do the talking. I can't. But I had to still verbalize it, so I, I was conscious of Jesus verbalizing the thoughts with me. And he says, okay, show me what you've got. I pulled out the book, I opened it up to him. He looked at the book, uh, he went through it, and he closed it quickly and just pushed it aside. He says, is, it all, is that all you've got? Jesus, um, <clears throat> no, that's not all I've got. I've got one more. I pulled that one out. He looked through it, and I was conscious of Jesus' presence. He looked through it, and then he did the same thing as he did to the first one. He says, is this all you've got? No, no, I've got one more, I've got one more. So he pushed that one, but he pushed it in such a way that it slid across the table, almost hitting the last, the other one, and that almost tipped over. But it was two of them were there now. I pulled this one out and did thinking of Jesus and thinking of Jesus, now come on, you, you explain this to him so it will be attractive. So, and so I kept, I, he did the same thing to this book and to the other one and to the other one and to the other one. And they're always sliding across the table. And then I realized I've got only one book left. What hope is there, Jesus? Can you somehow, so you can buy this book? Yeah, I've got one more, one more. Bring it out, explained it, showed it to him, fully persuasive in the Lord that I knew how. He did exactly the same thing to the last one, pushed it to the side. Lord, I'm standing there. This is a, a man at a crisis, looking for the future. Trying to make, what work shall I do in my life? Where shall I be? And then he did something that was surprising. He yelled. Yelled at his, for his wife. Darling! And she responded back. Bring me my checkbook. How much does all this cost? And I was just shaking. I picked up the pen worked it all out gave him the total by that time she was there with the checkbook he bought the lot i walked out on an empty bag floating on cloud nine is not good enough to say but deeply certain that jesus is alive i found him I said to myself, as I walked down the stairs, I still remember. Miroslav, this is your new job. This is what you are to do in life. Tell people about me. Tell them that I'm alive and I can change lives. I had, I had a job. I decided I would, I would do ministry on those stairs. Ministry wasn't for me up to that time. It was only for highly sanctimonious people who happened to walk right holding the Bible right and look very serious. When they preach, they preach in a certain tone that's only ministerial and clergy. They are the ones who do some amazing things, highly respected, but they're rare. They're born that way. 
No, I said, I don't care what they're supposed to be. I just want to tell everyone that Jesus is alive. Do you realize that many years have gone since that day? Do you realize that I've come and God has dropped me here to tell you the story? All these years later, I thank him for the privilege. I knew what my work was to be. From that on, this Bible verse became my special Bible verse. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way that thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. This has been, you ask me about my favorite Bible text, this is the first one that comes to my mind. It carried me from then onwards. Now I had it clear. No worry about nice suits and cars and money and all that. Now I'm going to study. I'm going to learn more about God. I'm going to study theology. I'm, I'm going to, and, and, and there in Palmerston North, there was an old pastor called Alfred J. Kranz. He was the father of Russell Kranz, who died just recently. That man was old back then. And I quickly joined his class. In his retirement, he was giving this life of Jesus class. And you know, I was drinking everything in. Something was happening to me. Something was happening to me. I had just made another leap. Through it all, what a journey. What a journey. I want to study theology, I said to Pastor Kranz. He says, okay, that's good. He was actually surprised that I joined his class because he told me off a year before for doing something wrong. <laughs> now I'm trying to be you know, with him and in his class. And I naturally did what everybody would do at that time. Yeah, I decided that I would go to Avondale College. And I applied to them. I just finished my high school. Uh-oh, the high school university results. I passed all the subjects. English missed by one mark. Oh, so I rang Avondale and I said, I'd, I'd really like to study theology. I, I feel called. God has done something for me. And they, they wrote back, you know, once you get that one mark sorted out, you, you can't come. Get it sorted out? How do I sort that out? Well, I quickly discovered I could go to the education board. I could ask for a recount. So I borrowed my brother's car and I drove down to Wellington to the education board and I just poured my heart out. Could you? I said, look, this is stopping me from doing something that I'm really now yearning to do in life. Could you just do a recount for me? And the gentleman behind the desk, in an official and formal and cold way, told me, um, sorry, we can't do that. And I, my trip was in vain and there was no hope. For the first time, driving back home for the two hours, a young man is crying crying for the fact that I felt deep down that God had a hand upon me and I can't do that. What do you do? You're, 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 you're in a dilemma. You're, you're in a crisis. And uh, I went to the factory and the lady called Mrs. Isn't Joan Irvine back then. I think she's still alive. She heard my story. She came to me and she said, Miroslav, I know that you'd like to go and study theology, but this is holding you, you can't do it. 
I've got a suggestion. I said, yeah? You know, there's not, there are more colleges in the world than just Avondale. Oh, really? There's one in England, and it's called Newbold College, and it's cheaper. You can, uh, you can, with the same money you pay here, you can actually get to, to Newbold. You can study there and even maybe even have money back. Well, that sounds good, but uh, will they accept me with one mark missing? I rang. I prayed. I said, Lord, you've got to open the door. Oh, she said, there are many students from various countries there too. That's okay. So I rang them up. They said, yeah, sure, we'll, we'll let you come, but we'll give you an exa English exam now and, and we'll see if you pass and then you, you can go. If I pass, I can go? Yeah, if you pass. So I needed advice. There was a lot of money still to pay to go to college overseas and then only find that you can't do it. And then uh, uh, where are you then? So I went to my old advisor, Pastor Alfred J. Kranz, and told him my dilemma, that I'd like to go to Newbold College and study for ministry and sit an exam again and see if I pass. And in his wisdom, he looked at me in the eye and he says, Miroslav, I see your passion, but let me say this. You failed an exam here in New Zealand, an English exam. Do you think you will pass it in the country where English came from? He had a point. And you know, when he said that, this burning within me didn't stop. I said, Pastor, but I've got to go. And after a while, he says, oh, I see you can't be stopped. It does say somewhere else in the Bible that whatever thy hand findeth to do, do it with all thy might. So go. <laughs> well, thank you so much. At least I'm going. I can tell you as a young man, this was a hurdle. But a hurdle that this time was going to be gone through with my Jesus, whom I know walks beside me and talks with me, whom I cannot see. So I, la I took on a DC-8 from Wellington to Hong Kong to London, praying, praying, constantly looking out the window and talking to my Jesus. Jesus, you are taking me on this journey. Please help me to pass the English exam. You know that I would like like to go on and study and be a minister to share what you have done for me. Please. No, that's a long journey to Europe. All along the way, I wasn't enjoying Hong Kong and all these places and all the amazing scenery and the luxury of flight and adventure. It was about Jesus and me making a success at college. Well, I did arrive at college, at London. Yeah, it was two o'clock in the morning. I had no one to pick me up. It was a new experience. I rang the person that was supposed to, I was hoping would pick me up, but uh, the person said, just wait till the morning, you know, till the morning, let me sleep. All right, so I waited till the morning. And then I rang. A friend from, from my school days, Beulah Hayward, uh, down in Palmerston North, and she says, don't worry, my relative will pick you up. Just wait there. So sure enough, the relative was there in the morning, and he's sitting right there. I've already mentioned his name many times. He had a prayer here. Mel Trevina came in his little Austin, and he picked me up, and he took me to college. And that's where life began. And, and, and I came to a huge exam 
And Jesus and I, we passed it. Life opened up before me. Study, travel, going back to my home country. At college, I met my wife. She was from Yugoslavia, from Croatia. We married. She wanted to go back to Croatia to work because her parents were sick. So I decided that I would go and start the, in the country, doing the ministry from where we escaped years ago. The idea of going back was fun. I mean, I am now going back to see the country try to revive the language. The union president says, welcome. I arrived with my family. He says, it'll take three or four months before we allocate you to the church. But while we're waiting, we, I want you to do a mission program. Where? In a little village. I said, in a little village? Yeah, what is its name? Vukovar. Oh my goodness. You mean to say, in the place where my dad saw the postcard? You mean to say that there where he gave his life to you, that I'm to run the first program? I could feel the circle coming right around. Here I am standing on the pulpit and here these people of the local culture, usually dressed very black, walking, walking up, you know, walking over there to the mission in the evening out of the dark and coming and filling the hall. And here I am pouring my heart out about Jesus and the difference he has made in my life. And many of them come and shake my hand and say, thank you for sharing that with me, with us. Thank you for coming back to our country. We noticed that your language needs a bit of help. <laughs> but thank you for sharing Jesus. Oh, we remember your dad. And when I saw that and how the circle was completed, I said, Lord, here we are. We have made another. There's one more step. The Lord has brought me to the place where my dad found the Lord. What is he trying to tell me with this? I felt he was telling me, I'm watching you. You're not alone. I'm taking you where I want to. And I just want to remind you that I know you and your dad and your journey through life. This is my finger in your life. We enjoyed the ministry over there. It was beautiful. We were there for three years. Then the war was starting on the horizon. My wife said, let's escape. I said, where do we go to? We've got parents in New Zealand, haven't we? So logically, we rang, we rang them up. But I've got to leave the work here. I love the work. The people were so warm. Um, this was my home. But she was from there, but now she was eager to leave. Made it easier in one way, because the thought of coming back down here was also nice too. We got a call from Queensland. We came to Australia, the beautiful Australia. We went to Queensland first, three churches there, loved working there. Then went to Gympie and Noosa, that beautiful Sunshine Coast. We were blessed there. I was ordained there. Then I was called down to Albury, New South Wales, five years, go there. 
Oh, we had two children born in Croatia, and then another two born in Aubrey. It was just a beautiful growth and journey with the Lord, with lots of different challenges along the way. But how do you deal with those challenges? You go to the one who, who walks on the footpath, who goes with you. So I traveled with him on all that journey. Then there was a call to go to, um, to Western Australia. Oh, we embraced that. So we went and worked a couple of years in Western Australia. Then we got a call from Brisbane, so we went there. And there we were in one of the largest churches. And God had brought us this far. And then the bombshell fell. Four children now. My wife says, one Friday night, when I'm about to preach in the morning and interview a local MP, she says, our life together is over. This beautiful text was a huge rock in my heart. Because as I read and pondered over it, it says, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. I said to myself, can I be comforted? This is beyond being comforted. The children were taken away from me, four of them. I hadn't seen them for 17 years. The young ones, only for a few years, here and there. The old ones, gone. Many a night. The conference looked at the whole situation and saw it. It knew exactly what was happening. And said, keep on, brother. Chin up, okay? Chin up. I say, Lord, thank you for such administration. They, I was pastoring while I was going through all this. Three years in Springwood, five years in South Brisbane. And then a call to Kafsaber for another five years. And I'm saying to myself, where on earth are you getting strength? Because every night was hell. You want to talk to someone. You want to find encouragement. People who are going through this here now, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Then uh, we got a call to Singleton and Musselbrook. And we accepted that gladly going back to the roots of what ministry is all about. When the churches are not so full and you have a few members and you see if one is missing, the half of the church is gone. <laughs> you say, what are we here for? We get sometimes a bit of an illusion thinking that when because there's many of us, everything's fine. But the ministry is often, you know, praying with that one and praying with that one and helping this one and helping that one and trying to bring the people from the community. Those were good years, but they were still, but in the process, something happened three years ago. I was just going down to the bathroom and my phone gave a message, SMS, and said hello. And it's from my daughter. I recognized her name. We hadn't been in touch for all these years. And I, had I heard that she married. I heard that the marriage was overseas. I heard that she had two children. I'd never seen my grandchildren. And here is, hello. Ruth walks in and she says, Miroslav, are you okay? She says, I'm not. This is too much. Uh, can you see this? 
I didn't even have emotional energy to respond. I said, could you help me put a response together? I'm over the moon. She says, after I sent her a message back, she says, look, Dad, it's been a long time since we've been together. It hasn't been your fault. I've had two children and a beautiful husband since, and I've been married. But I'd like to do it the way Jesus wants. I want us. I want you back in my life again. I was, I was over the moon. You cannot explain that. Ruth came to me after a sermon that I had delivered in the church the following Sabbath. She said, let's go for a drive this afternoon somewhere. You need a, dry, a bit of a you know, breather, a bit of a refresher. You've been preaching. I said, yes. What, around the block? Yeah, yeah. We hopped into the car. She said, let's go to Brisbane. Ooh, now, today? Yes, of course. Can't you see? The door is open. The children are there waiting for you. We drove. We didn't even check how much fuel there was in the car. We just kept on driving. We got there and met my beautiful daughter. Blessed are they that mourn. Well, they shall be comforted. Sometimes it may take long time, many, many years, dark tunnels without any seeming light at all. Will I make it this time? Yes, yes, we did. Our children are coming to see us next month. They're going to fill the house. This is going to be a beautiful place that heaven has for us. I want you to see them. Here they are, Melody, Marissa, Mervyn. Marissa and Melody are in Brisbane. They're still single, but they are working and busy and studying. Mariah is the oldest one, is the one who sent me that SMS. And Mervyn is in, in Melbourne, married to, to, to his wife. Um, this is what I got yesterday, fresh. My youngest grandchild, you see, just last year, Mariah said to me, Dad, I'm pregnant. I said, congratulations, darling. She says, Dad, because you haven't been around during this time, uh, this one's for you. So, here he is, here she is, yesterday. Isn't she gorgeous? <laughs> Teeth are just starting to come. I mean, talking about a full circle that came when I went and preached there in that village where my dad was, when found the Lord. Now the circle of family reunited again. Through it all, the Lord blessed. If I never had a problem, I would never know that God, God, could solve them. I just thank you for the privilege of sharing this morning a little bit of my journey through life. But I would say that if for any reason you find yourself in a dark tunnel and you cannot see any light or maybe just a little, just lean upon him. You can't figure it all out. He knows what he's doing. He's been there and done what you're going through. Been there, done that. We don't have a savior who's going to discover something new. He's done it all. Just lean on him. He'll get you through. 
He brought me thus far. I still need to keep on trusting. And so, as I close, yes, yes, this beautiful lady came into my life 11 years ago, Ruth. God sent her. I said, Lord, I don't know what to do. I've been divorced. I, why do I, which way do I go? I said, you've got to do it all, Lord. You've got to do this. I'm not looking. You've got to make a package in heaven and drop it into my lap. And that's what he did. He did. Yeah, sometimes that's what life is all about. You think there is no way out. Stones from all directions. But God will get you through. When I looked at this, I thought, this is my life. One stop. Will I make it to the next? Yes, we did it with you. We're trusting. Lord, yes, but this is the big one. I don't know. I can't make this. I can't. No, I can't, but with you in my side, holding on to you, trusting in you, no, yes, no, yes, we did it. <laughs> so will you. Let's keep, how many of you want to lean on Jesus even more? May this, may I, may the Lord see your commitment. Come on, let's trust him fully, totally, even when we can't see the outcome. Let's trust in the Savior who will never let us down. May the Lord bless you. May he comfort you and strengthen you in everything you do and say. Amen.